Welcome to episode 73 of The People on Kaichung 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. On this episode, our guests are Shauna Lutker and Vishal Jagdeo. Shauna Lutker is an artist who lives and works in Los Angeles. She works in a variety of media, and she's the executive director of the nonprofit organization that publishes the Contemporary Art Quarterly Extra, and that's LA's longest-running critical art journal. I know that nothing gets finished without me reaching this sort of high-pitched stress level for a short, hopefully a relatively short amount of time, but it is part of the kind of psychological torture that I put myself through in order to create a environment where I can make decisions. Vishal Jagdeo is an interdisciplinary artist who works with video, installation, performance, and sculpture. He also is based in Los Angeles and is currently a faculty member at the UCLA Department of Art. We had internalized this kind of self-lack or something, like like you're never going to totally get it. We came to question these other things, like, well, what, you know, who has access to this very difficult language? What are the conditions that lead someone, to, as a student, from the student perspective, to actually feel centered and visible? Later in the show, we're going to hear a track from L.A. musician Nick Flessa. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. You know us. We're like a broken record, magically repaired. Shauna Lucker and Vishal Jugdeo, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank We're you. insanely excited to be here. <laughs> uh, I knew yes. you would be. <laughs> Somehow I knew you would be. Shauna, I have a question for you. Yes, Vish? What are you working on right now? I am working on making decisions. I'm at that point. I have a show um, here in Los Angeles in September. And I'm at that time where I've spent I'm almost a year now, like letting myself think freely, making lots of drawings. And now, like tomorrow, I need to commit to uh, what I'm going to make. And so I'm sort of working on deciding what to pursue for this exhibition. Go ahead and plug it. Where's it going to be? Yeah. Um, it's going, it's a show at Suzanne Vielmetter, um in the new gallery that just opened downtown. And I will be in the, in the back part. Okay. And um, there's this kind of L-shaped gallery. As I say this, I have this fear that it could all evaporate somehow, but... The actual show. Yeah. If that happens, <laughs> you guys will edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think, will be my fifth or sixth show at the gallery. So that, I've, I, I'm comfortable with that part. Um, I, I'm, I really respond to spaces. So... And I, I often um, use that as a crutch. Like my work isn't necessarily site specific, but I'm, I always tailor any kind of exhibition to the space almost too much. So I'm working really hard to not pay that much attention to the space. Mm -hmm. But that said, right now, one thing I have decided on is a kind of um, almost like an architectural installation that responds to the space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's why I asked you, like, do you know the room? Because yeah. I kind of know your work. You're always super thoughtful about the actual conditions of the room. Like, I remember, like, when we sort of, when I rented a studio from you, I remember that tiled floor at the gallery in Stockholm. And I remember you having a model and us thinking through, like, what you were going to do with that floor. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of other times that I've come, I remember coming to your studio once when you were preparing for a show at that Swiss gallery. Mm -hmm. And I remember the conditions of that. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's funny that yeah. I actually always know the rooms where you have a show, even when I right. don't see the shows. I always know the room, and I know the thoughts that go into that. Yeah. So I feel like it is a really important part of your work. But anyway, yeah, no, yeah. and I guess I feel kind of self-conscious about being a person who makes objects. And I think like even the objects that I make are always somewhat um, in between. They're like a little tentative. And I think that also making the objects um, sort of 
uh, respond to or be um, designed on in response to the conditions of their space also undermines their autonomy. Totally. Right? Like so, and for some reason that's something that I do. <laughs> um, and I can, I mean, I do, I can, I can name a bunch of reasons why I think I do that. But um, it one downside of this strategy, and there are a number. One is that it means that I, I put energy, time, and money into making things that respond to space that actually aren't the work itself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's actually what one of the decisions that I'm in the process of making right now. So, um, for example, like the exhibition in Switzerland that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I made curtains for all the windows, <laughs> and they you know they weren't. I listed them as a piece, sure, but. Yeah. We all knew that wasn't a piece. No one wanted that. That was I just made fabric curtains for all the windows that were the same color yeah. as like a mental hospital in Paris. These are the yellow curtains. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, in the new Villemetter Gallery, it's an old factory building, and it has those like beautiful giant columns that are like four feet wide. Those concrete columns mm-hmm. that kind of like. Um, Bell out oh, yeah. at the That's top, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're really rough, and they've just been painted white a bunch of times. And so I keep thinking about them, and I'm making this thing that kind of takes takes yeah. takes them and uses them as pedestals and as this kind of active part of the installation, but. Um, that's one thing I'm trying to decide right now. But I do have to say one thing, which is that every Aries artist that I know f- has a battle with themselves. Their work is actually about the consist like they just return to the same battle over and over and over mm-hmm. again. So it feels productive. Now, full disclosure, <laughs> Vish and I are both Aries artists. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll just shut Whoa. the podcast down, I guess. It's straight to the real stuff. Yeah. Um, and our birthdays are coming up. They're two days apart. Yeah. Um, so we talk a lot about being Aries artists. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't seem that crazy in the case of the piece that you were talking about. I mean, those yellow Mm-mm. curtains were a specific signifier. They were they were there because they were the color of the curtains in the mental hospital that where um, the sort of most where hysteria was invented, right? Basically, yeah, the salpetriere, and. Um, and also, it just happened that I was at making that show. There was a set of coincidences, but I was making these yellow curtains, and I didn't actually. And I was working on a show. All the research was around the invention of hysteria and this mental hospital, but I didn't even know at that time that the curtains at the Salpetre were yellow. It was this very weird thing. I was making these oh, yellow wow. curtains. Oh, I, really? Yeah, I was making wow. yellow curtains, and then. I learned that the show, the subject of the show, which was the Salvatore, also had yellow curtains. Mm. It was very convenient. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, that that seems really appropriate and like conceptually, yeah, conceptually appropriate. What is it like that you are maybe the both of you as Aries or whatever? Like, why why would you be so tentative about that? Like, that seems like the thing that should go there. I think that. One thing at this point in my career, I at, well at this moment, I'm thinking a lot about what I should spend time and money on, mm-hmm. and what is the work that I'm making. It's like super practical, mm-hmm. um, and I want to make these column inspired things that will serve a very important Mm -hmm. very important central role in this exhibition and like the way the exhibition will be set up and the way it's moved and it's also again borrowing from like it has this kind of outside inside feeling in in the show and been thinking a lot about that Daniel Buren piece in at the palace in Paris where there's just all these partial columns Mm -hmm. in the square I'm straight up borrowing that <laughs> and um, and using it in a but but um yeah again I just think that maybe this sort of self consciousness is is this just like this practical like 
what am I going to spend my money on? <laughs> and yeah. I, oh, I've got to spend, I, I'm inventing this installation for a gallery exhibition. What's what's a gallery exhibition? A gallery exhibition is where you're like directly interfacing with the market. Mm-hmm. And so when should you spend money on an installation? And you know, so these are, again, going back to, it's practical decisions that I need to make right now. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they, they mirrors like a kind of a uh, moment of like debate that, that I feel like I've witnessed you have. <laughs> Vish has heard this all before. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. also the same kind of like, well, I, this, this notion of like, well, I feel like I do this thing wrong and I want to not do it wrong this time around. Yeah. And um, then I'll do it wrong again. Well, but I, I guess <laughs> I am of the belief that it's not actually what you're doing is not wrong. What yeah. you're doing is actually just expressing. The, it is actually the truest expression of a part of your practice, which to me is about this kind of thing that you'll never resolve. I mean, that's how I see your work. I mean, in a way, it is really interesting just because we have known each other this long. And I have seen your practice like unfold over 15 years that how much that kind of thing that you return to like when if I think about if I think about what I'll what I could say about your work in 40 years it'll be that Oshana has this cyclical like (laughs) kind of (laughs) cycle of doubt or whatever but it feels productive I mean you might it doesn't feel productive to you right now because you're in that sort of agonizing moment of like why can't I make a decision and move forward with this? But... Yeah. Yeah, I think that the <clears throat> agony of the, of the decision-making process is part of my process, I admit. And I know um, that nothing gets finished without at least, like, r- without me reaching this sort of high-pitch stress level for a sh- hopefully a relatively short amount of time. But mm-hmm. it is part of... Um, yeah, the kind of psychological torture that I put myself through <laughs> in order to create a environment where I can make decisions, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, um, yeah, that's I, – and I don't know if every artist works that way. I know that everyone must has trouble at some point in their process, I hope. Right, there's yeah, like that time have, where yeah, you have yeah. to struggle, no matter yeah. what you're doing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess that's what I'm working on right now. <laughs> I mean, are those problems that you encounter as well? I mean, I know you're doing more film stuff now, and so it, it's kind of a different thing. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do battle with this kind of second guessing. I mean, I or not. It's not just about second guessing, but this kind of like sort of internal battle or something that you know seems to be propelling the work in certain ways um but those maybe those those battles have sort of changed for me right Mm -hmm. now but um like from from what to what I don't know I mean my you know the the thing that I'm working on right now is this like film that won't end being made you know it's like it's uh been kind of in production for like three years or it's like a at this point I now think that it's going to be a cycle of three films that I hope to finish by the end of this year Hmm. um and I think at the moment I actually have at least all the footage that needs to be in it is this the film about Vikram or it is yes Mm yes tell tell us about that real quick yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so um yeah so it's a project that I kind of initiated in 2016 um I was visiting India uh, for a re- on a research trip, and I, um, a friend of mine was like, "You really need to." And I was what I was looking for at that point was I thought I was going to make a kind of experimental narrative work, and I was looking to cast, and um, and then a friend of mine that's ha- helped me a lot in the work that I've made in India um, kept saying, "You have to meet this person, Vikram," and and I was really looking for actors. So I was meeting with like professionally trained theater actors and I wasn't really finding, and that's how a lot of my previous work had, had kind of unfolded where I would meet a person that I wanted to meet with or a person that I wanted to meet with was, for example, I mean, I worked with my ex Billy for like eight years. So there were either people in, in my life already, or like I would meet somebody 
and decide I want to work with this person and then I would develop kind of a role for them and and so that's what I thought I was looking for in 2016 in India but then I met this person Vikram and I knew that I couldn't just cast Vikram as an as an actor into like a script because Vikram was sort of sort of so fully formed like it was also Vikram wasn't an actor um and so we started working together and I made um this documentary film um that kind of followed this person Vikram around Delhi and as their sort of life unfolded and and Vikram is a poet and an activist um and is identifies as genderqueer or at the moment at that time identified as genderqueer um and was 27 years old so I made this film that ended up being kind of the first like documentary sort of film that I'd ever made um but then it never felt totally right and I kind of have never I never showed it in too public a way it was sort of this thing that I kept um, and I would show fragments of when I would give lectures, but it didn't feel like it had resolved yet as an artwork. And then a year and a half later, I went back and I said, well, I, I identified that the main problem with the first film was that Vikram kind of existed as a subject and I was like a filmmaker. And that felt like it played into a kind of like ethnographic model or something that I was not interested in and also didn't feel true or honest to what the thing was. And it was clear to me that it was like not a, it wasn't art yet. Like it was just something that I was giving in talks. It wasn't yet a film. It wasn't yet art. It was just this thing that I knew I was working on. Um, I had started to get grant money that I allocated to Vikram. So it was really like more like here we're sharing in the resources of making this thing. And now what we've shot is a totally new work. Um, it's still connected to the first thing. So this doesn't connect to our earlier question about the inner battles with my work <laughs> so much. Right. We're on a totally different journey. And that's why I say like like in a way this this project by its nature actually broke me away from about a ten year or pretty much like a ten year practice that felt far more linear. And this is this other thing, which the more that I show it and the more that I look at it, the more that I see how it's connected. But it's very unclear in a lot of ways to me, like how it connects into my well, practice from before. I mean, yeah. But I guess the journey that you've just described is also your is a kind of maybe the new thing is an openness to follow this thing through a confidence mm -hmm. to allow that to happen and unfold over time. But the problem, or not the problem, the mm -hmm. process that this anxiety that's integral to the process was still a part of totally. yeah. the making of these films, which is totally. continuing. Right? Yeah, totally. Where you don't know, you're not quite sure what you're doing, but you're allowing yeah. yourself to continue but you still, you still, it's almost like you haven't made any of the decisions. You're just rolling, you know, and yeah. that's, but that's my, that seems like it's been really productive and empowering. You've been listening to episode 73 of the people on K Chung 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us wherever you find podcasts. You can find us on SoundCloud and at insertblancpress.net by clicking on the people at the top of the page. Or Apple iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever else you get your podcasts. Absolutely. And if you find us and you are listening to the show and you're enjoying it, you can leave us a review or, you know, hey, tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. It's the best thing you can do for us. Uh, and now we're going to get back to our conversation with Sean Lutker and Vishal Jogdale. So we were just talking are we allowed to say that we talk outside yeah, you can of this? Pull the curtain back. Yeah, we were talking off mic. No, no, I won't do it. I won't. Do it. <laughs> really? Me. I'm gonna just pretend as if it's a new idea. <laughs> I don't like this. I like full disclosure. We were sitting outside. Okay. Yeah. In a backyard. All right. Um, <laughs> so we were just sitting outside talking and um, talking about what we were gonna talk about now and. Um, I 
suggested I would say something along the lines of the following, which is, um, you know, there's there's ways in which our work might on the surface seem not connected. But um, for me, I feel like we have a really deep connection. And it, it goes into um, the sort of psychological. I could talk about like the uncanny. But mm-hmm. I think that um, to think more recently, mm-hmm. um, there's a sort of this interest in narrative and constructing narrative and really thinking about how humans construct their own narratives Mm -hmm. and the kind of holes in that Mm -hmm. and the kind of this blurriness. And I often talk about my work as being a kind of exploration of the line or the attempt to articulate the unconscious. Mm -hmm. So how do we in our conscious life articulate the unconscious? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit and sort of how you – what this sort of relationship of a kind of psychological space is in the way hmm. you think about your work and how it drives your interests mm-hmm. hmm. and how that ties to identity and narrative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The truth is that like, I don't put a lot into my work consciously. Like, it, you know, it is, I've always actually relied almost entirely on my intuition and my impulses to like guide me from, point A to point B um, and for like happenstance and coincidence and just chance meeting and things like that to actually be what guides the work. And so even in terms of like how I construct it, I don't think I'm ever necessarily thinking about the psychological aspects, even though I, I think that one of the effects of my work is around does have a relationship to the psychological and to maybe sort of this relationship between conscious and unconscious. Um, but I think it's tough because, because as I say, like if I'm on, I've been on this three year ride with this thing <laughs> that feels very different. And also like, I don't actually have control over it. So it's like, I actually, it's very difficult for me to identify what it's about in mm-hmm. different ways, you know? And it's interesting also in those three years because this work is made in collaboration with another person and they that person has gone from the ages of 27 to 30, mm-hmm. which is the Saturn return yeah, that's phase big. of time. Mm-hmm. So and also that this person happens to uh, identified, you know, originally as genderqueer and now kind of identifies more as trans. So like it's actually also watching somebody's very specific sort of like relationship to themselves kind of grow in different Mm -hmm. ways um but i really but i also think like if vikram listened to this it would be like vikram would also be resistant to this idea that it is just about vikram yeah (laughs) because (laughs) well yeah i think it's also about you it really is and i i so yeah i don't think it's only about vikram's yeah space or boundaries or Mm. articulation of Vikram. Yeah. You know, in those early pieces of the kind of quote-unquote documentary about Vikram that I've seen, um, the reason I think that maybe you had some hesitation is like, is this art or is this what, is because you weren't, you, you weren't in, I mean, I guess what is art, you know, that's, Mm-hmm. When we try to think about what is art, mm-hmm. I, the, you, the artist has to be in it somehow, mm-hmm. right? There's not like this kind of line. Mm-hmm. We could talk about that for a long time. We won't bother. We'll just accept this. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that's what was kind of missing. Um, and yeah. so it sounds like now, and I haven't seen this recent stuff, but that through this collaboration, maybe there's also um, some kind of... you the lack of control allows you to operate maybe on this level of like intuition and use it following your gut or you know like whatever you want to call it that that I also I think try to follow my intuition I make decisions based on um I do tons and tons of research and have these like elaborate structures but ultimately I do that to create a space where I feel safe to follow my intuition Mm -hmm. 
Totally. And I think that that's something that you can totally. sort of relate yeah. to as well. No, yeah. and that's, I think, really what connects us is this kind of, like, we do, we honor, we honor our unconscious. I think we both do that, like, and partly maybe because of some of the trainings that we share. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, like, the people, you know. and Which the, goes beyond, I want to yeah. say, so Vish and I met in grad school at UCLA, um, but also, we both had a kind of critical theory background yeah. from Fish's, like, art school in Chicago. <laughs> Chicago, sorry. <laughs> Vancouver. Vancouver. Uh-huh. And yeah. my sort of, like, yeah. critical theory over on the East Coast. So yeah. I think that – and I actually don't know that many people who that I think that had that same path. kind of yeah. undergrad, deep immersion yeah. in critical theory. Yeah. Um. So, so we it's, are... Freud, it's Freud heavy is what we're talking about. Right? It's, it's not more just like Freud. Barth. It's more like Barth and like right. the Frankfurt School. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Marx, like Marxist kind yeah. of, Marxist feminist theoretical, like like foundational gobbledygook. I mean, no, I don't think of it with as gobbledygook. Respect. With, 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 with respect. With, with deep respect. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I feel so grateful for that foundation. But it, and I connect to those that have it mm-hmm. in this kind of deep way. And there's something unstated in how you kind of understand something. Um, yeah. And I <clears throat> maybe it's we can I can sort of pull back my earlier statement that really had to do sort of with a kind of the unconscious or psychological. But to, it what maybe the real question is just about meaning and this kind of hyper-consciousness about how you make meaning and how you mm-hmm. declare meaning. Even being declarative is problematized mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. is a kind of, um, you know, to be objective is ultimately you will be toppled, right? You'll mm-hmm. be wrong. So there's a kind of um, like a openness and a flexibility, a responsiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all of that is really just doubt. And I know. Well, that's, I just it occurred to me as you were saying that I was like, yeah, but that's also what makes us so hard on ourselves about art because we were trained out of this kind of like avant gardist tradition or something that is a lot about questioning and, and tearing it down. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Tearing it down, rebuilding yeah. it, and tearing that down. And negation yeah. mm-hmm. as this consistent, right. you know, kind of act and activity um and it's yeah and it is this thing that i think kind of drives a lot of people that come it the, those that have that kind of you know educational foundation or whatever it's sort of what drives so much of the the, the kind of an- anxious nature of the work or something like that or <clears throat> and it's also just about, anxious but it's, yeah it's not just anxious it's also i want to say about looking like the the gaze Uh but really more in a kind of film theory way like always interrogating Uh what you're looking at how you're looking and the perspective the perspective perspective. yeah Yeah. the perspective yeah yeah which connects to that sort of question of like identity quote unquote you Mm -hmm. know and i think and that's why as we see these i mean it's really interesting because you know we're in a moment in art in a sort of a way where there is this return to identity art. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a better better way of putting it. Um, and it's, but it's interesting because this, this version that we're at right now actually doesn't, it is not so tightly connected to the discourse that comes out of feminism or maybe it's some, some, in some ways connected to post-colonial theory, but I'm going to argue that it's not even, it's, it's actually post, not, post, post, it's post, 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 it's not connected <laughs> to, the, it's not connected in a lot of ways to the theoretical. I mean, what we're seeing, I mean, you we know, are unhinged. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like, interesting. Like when I talk to the students now that are wanting to explore identity, what they actually are hungry for is, actually a return to an understanding of theory they they have some notion that they missed mm-hmm. something in their that there's an educational gap and and it's true they're right in certain ways because people because frankly even though i was educated that way when i went out and turns became a teacher 
I became radically anti-theoretical in my teaching because mm-hmm. I'd been, because I'd suffered a bit of trauma from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know because you because theory theory ultimately like also traumatizes you by what's le- what by what's left out mm-hmm. of it or something. You know, yeah. and so that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Actually, yeah. um, I'm a little off. I'm not really following, and you're, you're like you're like laying out a really clear path. And I you're giving like us I a can, hope for the future that the kids that the kids these days might want to return to some sort of theory based work, or or at least are interested in it. That's nice to hear. But I wonder because I'm I'm like, is that hopeful, or does that mean that we then produce a new? I can't believe I'm saying this, do you, but that we spiral yeah. into fascism is that the no, word? no, no, no? But, but then, do you, we, then we just do you re- think the theory is keeping up with what these students actually want? to find out i'm not sure that it is and that's the that reason would be that, my that's, big question yeah. yeah that's the reason that i'm kind of like well actually i try to connect them to such a broad range of like okay here's a little theory but also here's like a youtube video <laughs> yeah. and here's like this thing from popular culture that's doing this thing really well that we all hoped we could have done for years yeah you know for decades we we hoped we could have made statements be so clear as the way that they're showing up in an HBO show or something mm-hmm. now. And yeah. So I do yeah. think yeah, the late 90s was the end of this sort of curriculum, this theory curriculum that felt Yeah. that made sense. It sort of unraveled. And yeah. I don't know what the kids are learning these days. Yeah. Um but it's all this like it's post, 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 right? It's like yeah. that you have to, and you have to teach it in that way. And it's very yeah. important that it's post, yeah. post, post, because yeah. you need to say the way that we learned this is being uh, unraveled for some really important reasons. And yeah. I'm so sorry that you don't get to have like a logical <laughs> curriculum that yeah. was laid out that like showed that went from, you know, like uh, Nietzsche to Derrida. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it made it all made sense. Like it was. Yeah. What What do you do? You want to do? You, do you dare speculate on the reason that it unraveled? That like that that very sort of regimented theory it, thing unraveled. It really it needed to. I mean, the it was it was a it was a it was Western philosophy. Yeah. It was it, you know you think about postmodernism and the joke that even I feel like in the four years I was in college that it got so much more cemented that how did the postmodernists think they were actually postmodernists? They were just modernists, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. I mean, it's how hilarious Mm -hmm. was Baudrillard or something, you know? So I think, um, it, yeah, the world. I mean, so much of the discussion, I think just became cyclical Mm -hmm. and that's, and then it produced this kind of art about art sort of thing Mm -hmm. that just became so like, culty. Yeah, and and yeah. just it it became so it was so easy to just point at that thing and be like, okay, no more of that, right? You know, yeah. I, I think, and so, but it's also I think we came to question these other things, like, well, what you know, who has access to this to this very difficult language, and who who you know, like, what what are the conditions? that leads someone to, as a student from the student perspective to actually feel centered by or feel centered and visible you know and i think in a way like we were sort we were educated in this way where we we were kind of like we had internalized this kind of self lack or something like like you're never going to totally get it you're never going to mm-hmm. i don't know like it, we missed the moment right yeah and but I also think that what happened in the last almost 20 years or whatever is that public culture Mm -hmm. started asking a lot of the questions that had only previously been in like countercultural movements or in like elitist theory. So you could, you, HBO was asking these important questions about. Um, intersectionality yeah you know yeah, all yeah. everything everything is on now it's not even hbo it's just on netflix or star <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, <laughs> stars i don't know shots fired at stars yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know that to bring it back to freud in, that's that's sort of one of the things i find most fascinating about 
um, the history of psychoanalysis or also surrealism is studying these kind of movements at there when they were started by mm-hmm. Freud or Andre Breton and how kind of theoretical, specific, radical they were and then what happens over that time. Mm-hmm. So now s- psychoanalysis is also like a pop popular yeah. culture. It's We all hold it, not even us mm-hmm. in this table, around this table, but it's just like these ideas do filter out. These questions do get asked, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and it's culture changes it adapts so i don't know what we're supposed to do in our post 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 well i think now it's like we have to i mean the students that are really asking for it are actually asking for critical race theory they're actually asking for you know a post-colonial theory that's very like direct and kind of will be useful for them to to like to empower them and I think that's being produced right yeah, now. Yeah, th- yeah, I do as well. By in both academic or academic activist philosophical realms yeah. and on TV, like yeah. it, you know, and that's yeah, it'd be it's kind of great, but yeah. it's it's hard to right now that I guess that map, that curriculum, that toolbox isn't really codified, and again, yeah. hopefully, never will be, except. Yeah. Wasn't it nice when it was? Because yeah. you could go to school e- and get this package. Yeah, it was and, this, it was sort of easy or something. Yeah. But, but it's never going to serve. I mean, I don't know. I think that we're in a moment that's so kind of chaotic, which is kind of what's interesting about it. Like that, that there is no, it's like, I think that's the, that truly is a way to decenter power and like operations of power mm-hmm. is to kind of, be so chaotic that no like that it's hard to identify like like what is the central truth or something like yeah. i mean that's in a way that's also what all this theory was sort of leading us towards yeah. Yeah, right it was exactly. like a radical decentering yeah. but it just went dark with like i don't want to mention him by name but the person who lives <laughs> in the white house right you know right. it could have gone yeah. really there could be a positive version of this, but, but we're living what in you're a saying nightmare. Is it, it went both ways. Like, I yeah. mean, maybe as a result of the he who shall not be named. Like, right? It went both ways. Like, your students are interested in hearing about that that new decentering in the same way that it's being done in a chaotic, nihilistic way mm-hmm. in our nation's capital. Right? And it's not just in our nation's capital. I mean, it's right. like when so you many think about nations it, yeah. the rise sure. of you know these fascist like you know. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, like, and, but also that are built around identitarian politics. It's almost always built yeah. around identitarian politics. These fashion, these new, yeah. you know, these like, you know, like India has now become like a Hindu nationalist state. You know, well, and I, but, I might you say know, you might like, say that those kind of movements are necessarily closed down, and it, the, things aren't up for discussion. And I think the kind of theory that you're talking about students that are looking for, it's more like they're looking for a more open-ended space that is necessarily discursive. We're trying to figure out what are we even asking? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out what questions we might even want to ask. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that, and that is, that is again, like you guys said, it's like the theory that we were excited about wanted us to get to exactly that place where yeah. we're like always beside ourselves trying to figure out what question we even want to ask. So I don't know, it's like, it's good, but it's very, like you said, creates a bit of chaos. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find The People on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We're also on Instagram at the underscore people underscore radio. And you can find us uh, here on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 p.m. And the podcast comes out every third weekend. So look for us uh, each month, every third weekend yeah, of the month. Uh, yeah, find us there. Uh, so now let's get back to our conversation with uh, Shauna Lutker and Vishal Jogdeo. So one thing that we were talking about talking about, and we're going to talk about it, <laughs> Is the Alan Rupersberg exhibition um, that's at the Hammer Museum right now um, in Westwood. Um, and Al Rupersberg was a teacher of both of ours, actually, which is why like, we kind of mm-hmm. thought of it as a topic. And is actually, you know, frankly, someone I haven't really thought about since he was my teacher. Um, he, for those that don't know, is like a kind of associated with, he's like a California conceptual artist. Like, 
I think the work that is primarily known is like the 70s and 80s. Well, no, actually, it's, I mean, his a lot of his work is known, but there's some like historical works from like the 70s that I think, you know, um, and this is a survey of right up until kind of some recent work. Yeah. Um, and I had mentioned it just because it was somebody that we both had a kind of relationship to in a sort of a way. Um, and then maybe, and I, you know, I sort of, we talked about it previously, but, but it was also this show that when I saw it a week ago, um, I was struck by how into it I was. (laughs) And then it's... You were embarrassed a little bit. bit. Yeah, like a little bit like, oh, weird that I was really into the Al Rupert show. And not for any reason, because, you know, like, I was also very into the Bruce Nauman show at MoMA this Mm -hmm. year, you know? Um, just as I was very in, into the Adrian Piper show. And I think it was because I was so into the Adrian Piper show that when I heard that there was going to be a Bruce Nauman show, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, well, do, oh, so now we also need the, like, you know, white straight guy show. Um, and then so I think similarly there might have been a thought along those lines in terms of the Al Rupersberg show. And as it happened when I recommended the show to my students as well, I kind of got that same sort of role, like eye rolling, like, Mm -hmm. well, like, why would I need to look at this now? Mm -hmm. Um, Which, and I, you know, so what I kind of said, but but the thing that struck me about it wasn't the content of the show. And the content of the show might be Al, for better Mm -hmm. or for worse. Like, that's maybe the the central content of the show. That's not what's interesting about the show, necessarily. It's what's interesting is, well, at least what I found was interesting was the storytelling devices and the the frameworks around which he kind of placed the content of each project. And, And so, and in a way, I don't even remember the content of the show, of, of mm-hmm. the various works, so much as I remember this kind of framework, this like this set of devices that he uses for very economically and playfully and entertainingly like telling stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and that's why I sort of I think I texted you from the show and was like, "Go see the Al Rupertberg show." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I and I did. Yeah. Because I do whatever. <laughs> no, but I, I wanted to see the show, and I'm glad I did go see the show. Um, yeah, I mean, two, I guess I had maybe three things that really struck me during the show. One was, I mean, you said you hadn't really thought about Al in a while. I think I do, I think I do sort of think about Al, but I, I had almost like flashbacks in the show, seeing these mm-hmm. works. Now, a lot of which I hadn't seen before, but these memories of meetings with Al and mm. us sort of together realizing that um, everything that I was doing mm-hmm. at that time, he had done mm-hmm. in in the most mm-hmm. ridiculously specific ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, my work in grad school, I was making these newspapers, I was using mm-hmm. um, like all of our kind of, let's call them like f- conceptual formal strategies or something, which have to do with um, appropriation, mm-hmm. copying, copying text, copying text out of context or giving them different contexts or creating indexes, drawing from those indexes mm-hmm. to make sort of like funny, uh, nostalgic like (laughs) overviews that Mm -hmm. draw attention to the way to the structure I mean you know you said you didn't know what the content was for me I'm of his of Mm -hmm. what was the content of the work that what you were drawn to was more the structure and the storytelling for me that that the the stumbling block like is is that content and maybe Mm -hmm. you just were able to totally block it out but for me that's Mm -hmm. where that white guyness which is right now unfortunate in our mm-hmm. current moment but you know his this beautiful piece using all of the um colby posters and mm-hmm. and writing out all of howl you know mm-hmm. which right now that's yeah eye roll you know but it mm-hmm. was or but it was 
great. Like he was reacting to that canon that he had been handed, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that now when we look at it, we can't see the kind of criticality that might have yeah. been embedded in his gesture. And yeah. the same with like writing out Dorian Gray or, yeah. um, you know, that now we just see like white guy working on white guy. But it's like, yeah. no, there's so much more yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, maybe we extend that credit but it doesn't it doesn't even matter in mm-hmm. a way um okay that was one thing another thing <laughs> that i that i really took note of was like the um license that al gave al for al to be in al's work mm-hmm. <laughs> shirtless al mm-hmm. you know just hanging out al like mm-hmm. and how you know right now if you or I made a work that mm-hmm. was just a snapshot of us mm-hmm. topless talking to our pal about <laughs> directions or something, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's hilarious, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it would be it would still would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. But that I don't know. There's a certain kind of like self-reflexivity that mm-hmm. was so literal. Mm-hmm. Al's cafe, Al's hotel, you know, that mm-hmm. so literal that somehow he achieves without being a narcissist, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. Well, let's not go that deep <laughs> into that. But, like, there's something about the playfulness mm-hmm. and the kind of um, this, his deep, like, the way he embeds himself within a mm-hmm. certain literary cultural context that it's not actually about Al, even though you're in Al's cafe mm-hmm. or something. And the third thing... I'll come back to it. And remember what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's because in a way, like the central subject, it's Al, but it's also, I mean, I think what's interesting about it, it's Al, it's also the artist, quote unquote, but it's also like just the citizen, like, you know, yeah. which I think is actually kind of what what I felt was like in in viewing this exhibition was was what I felt like was the most meaningful to, mm-hmm. thing to take away is that like he actually didn't, he didn't second guess. Wait, I mean, of course, it's easy. It's easy for a straight white guy to not second guess like, <laughs> why, they're the, why they're the central stuff or, or why they're just yeah. like the citizen or whatever, but or why, how they can be the everyman or whatever it is. But um, yeah. But then having said that, yeah. I mean, it, it, it does obviously, it connects to an ethos and a spirit of a kind of art making of that moment. Yeah. Like, Baldessari and like the, you know these other kinds of artists that were sort of working at that time in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think of the self seriousness of Chris Burden yeah. next to Al, it's like yeah. hilarious, you yeah. know. And <laughs> yeah. I I do think that this like this Al as citizen or more, it's like it's something I relate to deeply yeah. in his work is like we're and this goes back to storytelling. Something I think you can relate to, like, or everyone can. We're all trying to tell our stories through our work from our own eyes. Like, we Mm -hmm. have nothing else. That's the first thing we have. Mm -hmm. And so that's always going to be there. So Mm -hmm. the amount that you kind of foreground that perspective, whether you do show yourself without a shirt on, Mm -hmm. hanging out with your bud, Mm -hmm. or what, like, you know, it's still, it's there. And that casualness Mm -hmm. of the way that Al does it while still being deeply personal Mm -hmm. and also kind of big picture, like looking at our culture Mm -hmm. and and also pop culture, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's not only him, you know, he collected all of this Americana, all of Mm -hmm. these kind of pulp novels that maybe he saw in his childhood, but Mm -hmm. that he wasn't, authentically reading as an mm-hmm. adult, right? Mm-hmm. He's collecting these things because they are strange to him. Mm-hmm. They are familiar and yet strange. That's, mm-hmm. again, the uncanny. You know, so I think there mm-hmm. is this kind of, um, I don't, I mean, and maybe it's also just like thinking about my parents or something. I don't mm-hmm. know, like how to, like my parents happened to, you know, they were born, they're they're a little older, born in like 44 and 42, but like their arc as like Americans and like uh, their relationship to the war or to mm-hmm. 1968 or to all these things and like I feel that all in Al's mm-hmm. work like this kind of midwestern mm-hmm. 
like kid who ends up in New York and LA mm. and you're still carrying all of that like Americanness with you. Yeah. But it's also I think the one thing that's like that's like worth noting is the materiality of that work and how mm-hmm. to 2019 eyes it's just kind of like oh that's like a moot point like that you can make art in that kind of a ephemeral away and sort of like kind of non-monumental away or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's not to say that there weren't artists of the same time working in that kind of a way but just like I was just so struck by the the fragility of the actual paperness of of like these statements that Mm -hmm. you know that are occupying kind of museum space and again it doesn't sound that interesting to say that now but I, I think I just, in watching the exhibition, I was really just situating myself in that time in which some of that work was made and how there weren't, like, now there's, like, you know, there's there's ways of making art and telling stories through art, like, like all that we're sort of used to, that we've just seen. And I just, there was a, there's quite a radicality in how he was not telling, he, because he, He's not a conceptual artist in the same sort of, in in the same manner uh, in terms of like rationality or something like that that a lot of other kind of conceptual art kind of I don't know. There's well, there's he's in this middle zone that I respect and relate to. He's not super clinical, technical, uh-huh. and he there there's not there's a little bit, but there's not a lot of like the abject. He's uh-huh. no like Mike Kelly. Like what yeah, yeah, would yeah, totally. what yeah. would Mike <clears throat> Kelly's install like something that we talked about is how kind of remarkable it was to come upon this like full blown installation of that mm-hmm. school hallway in the hammer mm-hmm. because um so how can I describe the piece? But you're just sort of moving through an exhibition that's like a standard hammer exhibition mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're in this kind of nineteen fifties, sixties hallway with doors that have marked on them different subjects Mm -hmm. and if you put your ear to the door you can kind of hear a teacher droning Mm -hmm. on and um the colors are right it's like this Mm -hmm. institutional yellows and a red and green Yeah. yeah and you know it was so kind of clean and honest or something and what would mike kelly's version of that be like Mm -hmm. there was no like hysteria or like Mm -hmm. Poop, you know, it was just <laughs> <laughs> no monsters. Right? I mean, Mike wouldn't have necessarily. Yeah, but no, yeah, I yeah, guess yeah, I was yeah, also. Yeah. I meant to bring up Paul McCarthy too. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah, what, yeah. what would those? Yeah. You know, yeah. or again, Chris Burden. You know, like yeah. there was no drama. Yeah, it's just, and I guess that's something. Yeah. There's all there's this humor. Yeah. And you used a different word that I really liked before, but yeah, there's this kind <clears> of like um, humanity again while also with some remove and some Mm self-reflexivity. I don't know, but there was a lot of work that I didn't, that I didn't like. But I, I, again, I really, I kind of relate to his project, even if not specifically, because I'm a a woman of a different generation. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the Eleanor Anton door in the mm-hmm. collection show? <laughs> yeah. That was, I love that piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 for those you didn't see it, it's um, it's just a door with like a, with like a mat in front of it and like a jar of milk and a jar of cottage cheese. Or and like a, a contained, key is stuck in the door. Container of cottage cheese, a key stuck in the door with like a little sort of like wallet hanging off of it and then an envelope, a blank unmarked envelope like stood between the milk and the cottage cheese. Her, like her mail delivery. Yeah. And it's a name. It's, the yeah. piece is a name. The piece is a name? It, there's a name in the in the yeah. title. I want to say it's Lenore, but it's, oh, well, I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, that was like a really meaningful work. Also like, another door. Also a another door. door, yeah. But, yeah, that kind of, you know, just that sort of, like, you know, that theatrical sort of narrative space or something. But then, like, the specificity of the door, like, this kind of old, you know, like, yeah, old old door that it's just like actually It's, like, specific has, without you know. being specific because it's 
literally not specific. Yeah. It's taken and out And then of the envelope is unmarked. So it kind of, it could be like a rent check or it's, you know, it could be really anything. It could be a $20 bill. It could be like a breakup note. Like, you know, it's sort of like, I mean, it, I don't know. It was just sort of like, it, but it put me back in time. And I think it was just sort of like, you know, and, and, you know, going back to even thinking about like the Adrian Piper show, like these, these sort of aesthetics of a moment, like in like art installation practice or production or something. I don't know. It's like funny to go back to it and be like, oh, right. That was actually so radical. It's almost like we're talking again about the critical theory conversation. I right? know. But now it's just like it's this terrible really nostalgia for like uh-huh. this seventies yeah. art. Well, so we've come good. full circle, and I think it's a good place to stop. But thank you both for being on the people. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. You've been listening to the People on K Chung sixteen thirty a.m. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find this and all past episodes of The People on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud or anywhere else where you get your podcasts. Everywhere. And we're on Instagram at the underscore people underscore radio. So check us out there. Yeah, go there. Um, our theme music, as always, is Ock Fifth by the great musician Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with a track off Nick Flesa's album, Flyover States, from Via Elite Records, released in July 2018. You can find more of his music on Bandcamp or over at nickflesaband.com. Or see some of his other work at nickflessa.com. That's N-I-C-K-F-L-E-S-S-A dot com. And the name of the track is Glendale. Yeah, Glendale. Won't you bury me in Glendale Between